Welcome to the Partial Historians. We explore all the details of ancient Rome. Everything from the political scandals, the love affairs, the battles waged, and when citizens turn against each other. I'm Dr. Rad. And I'm Dr. G. We consider Rome as the Romans saw it by reading different authors from the ancient past and comparing their stories. Join us as we trace the journey of Rome from the founding of the city. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of The Partial Historians. I am Dr. G and sitting beside me, looking fabulous as usual, is Dr. Rad. Hello. We're a bit overexcited because listeners, we're finally actually together in the same room. It has been a long time and I'm very excited. I know, it's weird. It's like it's a deja vu situation. I feel like this isn't actually happening. <laughs> oh, anyway, so Dr. G, we have been tracing the journey of Rome from the founding of the city. Where were we up to last time? Oh, look, we were in a world of pain. If you were a patrician and your name was Appius Claudius. Absolutely. So we've been dealing with the fallout from this period called the Decemvirate, where had 10 men who had ultimate power in Rome and it very quickly descended into a tyranny if our sources are to be believed. One of the worst being, of course, Appius Claudius. He's finally had his comeuppance, Dr. G. After many, many episodes, he's finally been thrown in jail and committed suicide or... Being killed. (gasps) The mystery remains. Exactly. So that's where we were up to last time, Mm -hmm. but we're still in 449. So let's jump back to this year and see if we can finally move on from 449 BCE. I think we can. I think we safely can. There's a lot of things that are yet to happen in 449, according to my source material. I don't know about yours. Um, But I'm super interested in what might be happening to the other former Destinvirs. Alright, well let's jump into the episode, shall we? about one of the other Decemvirs, and that is Spurius Oppius. Now, Spurius Oppius did turn up in our accounts of the very end of the December, when the Second Secession was happening. He was one of the guys who was running out around Rome and trying to put out fires whilst Appius Claudius was, you know, not doing that. Making fires. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So... Publius Numitorius comes into my story here, and he has Spurius Oppius arrested. Who is Publius Numitorius, you may ask? Excellent question. Indeed. He is a relative of Virginia, the girl who died Mm. by her father's own hand when Appius Claudius tried to seize her for his own lustful purposes. And if I recall rightly, he has been rewarded for his loyal service to Rome by being made a tribune of the plebs. Precisely. So it makes sense that he's involved, but I also think it's meant to be a bit of poetic justice 
that he's the one that deals a blow to this particular decimver. So apparently, according to Livy, Spurius Oppius was the second most unpopular decimver during their day. I think this is because he was hanging around in the city a lot, so people knew his face, and they're like, you know what, I don't like this whole setup, and you in particular. Exactly. He is definitely blamed for being around when Appius tries to seize Virginia so he can have sex with her, but he also is apparently hated the most for a crime that he committed, which I don't think was mentioned at the time. Oh. Yeah, I know. So apparently... This soldier is found, and he's, you know, I mean, he's like Dentatus 2.0. He served on 27 campaigns. He has earned special decorations eight times, Dr. G. Who is this guy? I know. Unfortunately, <laughs> I can't tell you because I don't get a name. <laughs> I was like, this guy doesn't get mentioned in my source at all. No, well, this guy is located, and the reason why he's located is that when he takes off his tunic, and of course, takes off his tunic. I do, about? I do like a good soldier taking off his tunic. No, 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 no. He doesn't take off his tunic. He rips open his tunic. Oh. Yeah, to show his back. And that is because he has been scourged with rugs, Dr. G. Oh. Yeah. Goodness. I was I was expecting the old usual no wounds on the back. No. But, but instead... He has many wounds, wounds on the back. Wounds on the back. Yeah. Okay. But it's because of Spurious Opius. Spurious Opus... Opius... <laughs> Spurious Opius... <laughs> Obvious Spurious. <laughs> Spurious Obvious ordered for this guy to be punished. And he would have taken it like a man if he had deserved it, Dr. G. But of course, he had committed no crime. Mm, he was a loyal soldier of Rome. Exactly. And so Obvious is carted off to prison where he also commits suicide before his trial. Oh. Yeah. Okay. It's a brief episode, but one that is very mm. full of justice. <laughs> now, Dionysius of Halicarnassus, mm. uh, my major source for this period, yes. has a slightly different account. Oh, I, I thought he might. <laughs> tell me, tell me, what is his twists and turns? I mean, there is no soldier, um, so that detail is, is all You mean his. you don't have a random, nameless soldier that just comes out of the blue after never having been mentioned before? It seems narratively convenient, Livy, mm. yes. Uh, no, I don't have that. Okay. Um, but I do have Publius Numatorius leading the charge against Spurius Oppius. Yeah. Um, and uh, Publius Numatorius uh, allows Spurius Oppius to make his defense, but then he is unanimously condemned by the crowd. Okay. Um, so that's kind of like the, the, the moment where things are going wrong for Spurious Obvious. He's then sentenced, um, to go to prison and then he's also put to death on the same day. Ooh, so wow. there's this kind of like a really quick succession of like, you're definitely guilty, cut him off to jail. Yeah. And by the time they get there, like, you know what, maybe it would just be easier to kill him. Do not plus go, do not collect $200. Yeah, yeah, that's the end. Well, that is swift. Well, I have a little bit of extra detail, which is that the tribunes confiscate the property of both Appius and Oppius. Ah, uh, yes. Likewise. Mm. And also, once these two big figures mm. have been dealt with, both of whom end up dead, yeah. the other Decemvirs are like, you know what? It's probably time for me to go into some voluntary exile. <laughs> <laughs> I need to hoof it over here, guys. Uh... I'm actually not so sure how voluntary it is. <laughs> I, now, now that you said that, I'm, I, I felt like when Livy was talking about it that it was actually something they were ordered to do. 
Mm. So I'm not so sure. But anyway, yes, the rest of the Decemvirs are also carted off, lose their possessions. My goodness. The justice in this episode is much quicker than it was without me. Things are speeding up quickly now. speeding up. I do also have a bit of detail about Marcus Claudius. Oh, yes, likewise. Okay, so Marcus Claudius was the pawn that was being used by Appius Claudius. And, well, that makes sense because obviously they're related. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but Marcus Claudius is the one that goes out and says, oh, Virginia is actually a slave of my family. Exactly. He was the Patsy. Mm. Wait. Is that the Patsy? <laughs> I don't know. I'm I not feel really like, sure what a Patsy is. I feel is, like he honest. was. And you know what? Who's alive from the 1920s to disagree with me? <laughs> no one. No one. Yes. Now, Wiginius is the one that goes after him in my account. So back to Dad hunting down ah. the men that have been involved. And he is actually somewhat moderate in his approach in this particular instance, in that he allows him to go into exile and thus oh how, how generous yes exactly and thus all the men who had wronged virginia have been hunted down one by one and dealt with yes well okay so there are some minor differences in the way that dionysius um deals with this uh sort of series of events right marcus claudius is accused of crimes by achilleus so Virginia's fiance and uh, uh, so he's the one that takes the lead with that case okay and marcus claudius does ex- escape death but he does get condemned to exile mm-hmm. so that is a direct sort of punishment for him sure whereas dionysius positions the other decimvirs as choosing to go into exile right and he also has this little detail about the quaestors oh okay yeah we haven't heard about the quaestors for a while no and we don't actually know a huge amount about quaestors at this stage Mm. there are definitely a couple of types and it might be the case that we're dealing here with the quaestors parakidii um, the ones that are interested in capital offences. Yes, I believe they have popped up in our story once before. Yes, yes. And, and they do come up in the 12 tables. So mm. we're in the right sort of, it's not out of bounds that there should be quaestors involved. Yes. But the quaestors are involved in like the redistribution of the confiscated property. Right. Uh, and they're also supposed to be investigators. So it's kind of like they're detectives and they're doing the whole thing. They wrap up the whole case and then they're like, all right. So we, we got them all out, we got all the stuff, we found all the booty, and now we're going to share it with the, with the people. I'm just getting flashes of a new BBC crime drama. <laughs> Only questers in the forum. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a tough case to crack here today, yeah. uh, boys. Uh... <laughs> God damn it, I didn't think I'd have to deal with another case of a dead virgin. This one was killed by her own father. Oh, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> it's enough to drive you to drink. I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> Somebody get me the fish sauce. <laughs> All right. Okay. I said so. They they are in charge of making sure that that property is collected and redistributed. Yes. Okay. Um, and there is a sense in which there is also Marcus Duilius uh, comes yes. up in here as well. Yeah. This is another tribune, and he sort of suggests that um, anybody who has been an instrument of the decimvirs in any crime, so people who were kind of coerced into criminal activity as a result of the decimvirs being in power, should 
not have a public trial, they should be granted immunity. Mm. And so there's a general sort of amnesty and forgiveness for everybody who got dragged along in the mess, as it were. Yes, Livy very much positions this in the sense that after all these decimers have been tracked down and dealt with, the patricians are clearly terrified of what is happening, particularly of the tribunes of the plebs. And he explicitly says that the tribunes of the plebs are acting just like the decimers. So, How convenient, now that there's ten of them. Exactly. Anyone could make that mistake. I mean, like, ten guys hanging out, making decisions. I sense trouble. Yeah, so it's obviously meant to be this whole thing of coming around full circle. And it is Duilius, as you say, who's one of the tribunes, who steps in and says, you know what, we have got our vengeance, we've punished our enemies, now let's rein it in. <laughs> let's have that amnesty that you're talking about. And that for the rest of the year, no one else should be arraigned or thrown in jail. I don't see the point of going through old crimes. You know, we just have to focus, obviously, on what's lying ahead of us now. And so... (laughs) Let's focus on the future. Yeah, exactly. And so now there's a little bit more reassurance that's happened about the Tribunes of the Plebs returning because of these steps that Duilius has taken. But... The patricians, in my account, even though they're less anxious about the tribunes, they're actually even more upset about the consuls that they have for this year, which are, for those of you who didn't listen to the previous episode, are Valerius and Horatius, who are fellow elites, seemingly fellow patricians. They're definitely both patricians, but they have this long legacy of being quite open to ideas coming up from other quarters of society, and at least listening to plebeian concerns, um, even if they don't directly act on them. So they're seen as maybe moderate elites at this point. Yes, and they have recently passed a number of laws which certainly do seem to be protecting the interests of the average person in that they've restored the right of appeal, they have helped to bring back the sacred sanctity, apparently, to the Tribune of the Plebs position. So they have been making some moves, which I suppose you could see as being in plebeian interest in a certain way. And so the patricians are really upset because they feel like the plebeian magistrates care more about protecting them than their own magistrates. Now, oh. I love the way that they, I love the way that they position the consuls as being exclusively for them. <laughs> yeah, and so that is why. Yeah, that that is why the patricians are feeling a bit angsty. Yeah, Yeah. and it's worth keeping in mind this sense of dissatisfaction, I think, that's coming from the patrician class because it's going to feed into the way that things play out across the rest of the year as we we delve further into it. Yeah, and there's even criticism made against the Senate for passing the suite of laws that we talked about in the previous episode. How dare you? Yeah, they're saying (laughs) you should have rejected these. Clearly, they're insane! And they say that the only reason why they probably even made it through the Senate is because 449 had just been such a disrupted, chaotic year that they clearly weren't thinking straight. (laughs) I don't know what took over me, but now I really regret this. It sounds ridiculous, but you know what? I'm feeling really bewildered just being next to an actual human being that is not (laughs) someone in my immediate family. So who am I to judge? (laughs) Life is tough, I tell you. It is. So in Dionysius's account at this point, he switches focus from things happening inside Rome to like what's going on in sort of the broader Roman sphere out and about. Ditto, Dr. G. Ah, these two, are they reading each other? (laughs) I think there might be a common sort of somewhere (laughs) in the chain. (laughs) 
So there are pressing military matters, mm. uh, which is perhaps not a surprise because everybody's been very distracted <laughs> for a good while. Yeah. And it's not like Rome's neighbours haven't noticed. They certainly have. And so we get a couple of uh, situations. Um, we've got the consuls going off in sort of slightly different directions. Valerius uh, gathers a force and he goes against the Aquians and the Volscians, the usual nemesis to mm. the south. And while that's going on, Herodias takes a force against the Sabines. I have exactly the same scenario playing mm. out in my account, Dr. G. I have some really exciting details from Valerius's uh, battle uh, and the things that go on there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so one of the things that Roman armies like to do, and it's the sort of stuff that comes up in like military strategy literature, Um, that the Greeks and the Romans write later on. So it might be that we're getting a bit of a retrojection of what is happening here. But Valerius does all of this cool stuff where he he kind of pretends uh, that his army is a little bit afraid once they see the enemy. Right. Um, And this is all part of their strategy, apparently. And so... Ooh, I'm really shaking. (laughs) Yeah, they march all the way out, catch sight of the Aquians and the Volskii, and then they're like, oh no. I don't know if we should fight. They're bigger than we than they than I thought they were going to be. Back up, guys. Back up. Slowly, slowly. And so he chooses a camp in quite a strategic high position, mm-hmm. which is a good good idea. Yeah. Um, covers it in ramparts. You know, put a nice high fence up, um, and sort of wait things out. And the Aquii and Volscian forces do challenge him to battle, so they come up quite close, and they they kind of like. Yeah, come and get some. You Romans, you don't have any descendants anymore. You don't know how to fight. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. Uh, so he's grimacing inside, but he's also like, look, we're not gonna not gonna fall for that trap. They're trying to entice us out of our nice little camp. And so he just lets them do this, sort of going backwards and forth. And it doesn't really come to a set to battle necessarily until um, he finds out that. The Aquia and the Volskii are also sort of um, making incursions into the Hunusian and Latin territory. So they've kind of split their forces a little bit. And they're kind of like, well, if Rome's not going to fight and they're going to sit over in that hill, that's fine. I'm going to plunder over here. You know, I'm here. I'm here for, I'm here for booty. Um, so they make some unwise strategic decisions, thinking that the Romans are just kind of there to have a look-see rather than a fight. And that's the moment where Valerius is like, all right. See it, boys? Let's go. Over the fence, down the rampart, down the hill. Go get them. Um, And so they really take them by surprise. And they set up right near their camp. And then they sort of start to play with them. And so... (laughs) Like a cat with a mouse. Yeah, it kind of feels like this in Dionysius' narrative. So uh, as their camp, as the enemy camp sort of empties out a little bit, they sort of go in a little bit closer and stuff like that. And it seems like the enemy doesn't have a good sense of the numbers that are involved. And the way that Dionysius tells it, the Romans are very in control of this situation. And when it does become a pitch battle, it's huge and there's lots of killing and the Romans come out on top. And so it's a huge victory in close quarters and they seize a lot of booty that has been already previously seized as well. And so at that point, the Romans start to lay waste um, to the areas that are not covered by their particular allies. 
And that's kind of hilarious. That is pretty much word for word what I have got. <laughs> the only difference is I think that Livy keeps highlighting that one of the reasons why Valerius didn't want to engage immediately was that the morale of the troops was still quite low after what they had endured under the Decembers. And I don't just mean, you know, people trying to abduct their daughters. I mean, the fact that militarily they hadn't been doing well under the Decembers as commanders. And so that's why Valerius plays this waiting game where he waits till the Aquians and the Volscians basically give up and go <laughs> away. And then when he challenges them, one of the reasons why I think the Romans are able to succeed is because apparently they can't really make contact with the troops that are out, you know, um, pillaging in that sort of an area. And so some of their troops return, but not all of them. And that's why there's a bit of a numbers imbalance. And so this victory is obviously hugely important because the Romans can now feel really psyched up about themselves that they, you know, they're back on track. We're still got it. Exactly. That's exactly it. They feel like they've got their groove back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. Yeah. And so that's why it's particularly significant. And therefore, Valerius, of course, is entitled to celebrations in Rome. <laughs> oh, yes. Valerius is looking forward to a trial. Indeed, indeed. But before we get to that, I think we need to talk about what Herodias gets up to against the Sabines. Definitely do. <laughs> because, so... The Sabines, um, you know, for for a long time, very interconnected with Rome. Now, just another enemy in the local vicinity. Uh, and he's heard about um, Valerius's exploits and he's like, I do not want to be outdone. Um, we might be friends and we might be sympathetic on a whole bunch of political issues, but I am also a consul and I would like some glory. Thank you. And he's like, so we're just going to have to get amongst it with the Sabines. So he he sort of goes out with this idea in mind. So clearly mm. there's a little bit of time between when Valerius goes out and when Herodias goes out. Yeah. My text starts to break up in, in certain parts. We get this idea that um, perhaps the Sabine leader is quite sophisticated, mm. um, but there seems to be a breakage in the text, which indicates that maybe this is a description of how good a commander Herodias is, not the Sabine guy. Okay. It's not at all clear. But he does win a great victory in part because of the cavalry that he has with him. Mm. And not only does he manage to, re- to get a lot of booty, but it's also there's a lot of booty recovered. So there's a whole bunch of things that the Sabines are sitting on, apparently, that the Romans immediately recognize as their booty. And they're like, wait a minute, that's our stuff. (laughs) I I knew that label maker wouldn't go to waste. (laughs) Is that my bedazzler? I'm pretty sure it is. (laughs) Um, So they have some of those kinds of moments, which is fascinating because I know we've theorized before that there can only be so much booty. So it's surely just circling around. It does feel a little (laughs) bit like, given how much warfare up until, up until the December and we were totally focusing on domestic affairs even though I know there was still campaigning going on we just didn't hear much about it and I I really do feel like it must have been a case of oh man Larry has that pair of sandals again (laughs) we're like um maybe next time (laughs) I thought I had that in my closet and now I remember it got pinched again Yeah, so I feel like there's. it's fascinating now that that's making it into the narrative as well. So yeah. Dionysus is telling us that they recognize some of the stuff. And they're like, wait a minute. Well, that probably 
gels with what Liddy tells me about this campaign, which again is pretty similar to what you have in that Herakius doesn't want to be outdone by Valerius. And so he allows his troops to engage in smaller military actions just to get their confidence back. But the Sabines are feeling pretty good about themselves because they have had a military victory against the Romans just the previous year. Now, that year feels like a million years ago <laughs> to me because we've been stuck in 449 for so long. But yes, this is probably explaining why the booty thing, you know, mm. is just going backwards and forwards. Yes, it does. And so the Sabines um, sort of, you know, they up stumps and go home. They're like, eh, this is not working out for us. Mm. And what Herodis does at that point is that he allows the soldiers to take their pick of the fresh booty, Ooh. the booty that they don't recognize. And you're like, see that pile over there? Unknown booty. Go for it. <laughs> Known booty. Uh, we're going to return to the previous owners. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of a lost and found stall. <laughs> I always love a good lost and found stall. <laughs> we're like, look, guys, we found some booty. We're pretty sure it might be yours. Um, if you can make a good claim for it, we'll give it to you. Absolutely. Um, so this is a new kind of gesture coming into play um, from Herodias to be like, how do we deal with previously held and understood to be our booty? Uh, and rather than redistribute all of it amongst the soldiers, he's like, let's return it to its rightful owners. This was like such an awkward situation, but I think it does more than anything we've talked about recently highlight just how small Rome must have been <laughs> at this point in time in order for that to be at all practical. That is so my jug. If you turn it over, you'll see my name is engraved on the bottom. That's right. My mum stitched it into my helmet. <laughs> you see that label that says Spurious? That's mine. That's right. Don't make me get furious on your ass. <sighs> all right. So there's, there's been a lot of success, therefore, on the battlefield, which we have not had for some time. But... We have talked about this before, the fact that after a particularly tough time, it seems like our sources feel the need to include some military victories just to pep the Romans up about themselves. Let's cut those guys a break. They've been having a tough time. Exactly. So, of course, Horatius and Valerius are deserving of celebrations for these victories. But in my account, Dr. G... The Senate is still pretty peeved, if you want to know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I would say that Dionysius would agree with you on that. Mm. Both of them come back expecting triumphs. Yes. Which is completely appropriate, given that they've they've had significant victories and both of them are returning with booty. Absolutely. And after, you know, a long time of a focus on internal politics, maybe a triumph would be nice. Maybe people will enjoy that. Something to bring the community together uh, again. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, the Senate says, I don't think so. We don't even <laughs> like you. <laughs> uh, I love it. Yeah, so in my account, the Senate refused to grant more than a thanksgiving mm -hmm. in the name of the consuls for one day. That's all you get. But you know what? These men are friends of the people. And so the people decide to hell with the Senate. We will celebrate on our own accord. We'll do a spontaneous celebration, which is the best kind of celebration because there's no expectations. We will offer thanks to the gods and we will celebrate them with all the enthusiasm we can muster when they come back. Oh, yeah. So I think this ties in nicely to some of the things that one Dionysius is saying, but also part of what we know is the consequence of this whole political situation with the Decemvirs. Mm. So according to Dionysius, the 
consuls get to the field of Mars and the Senate is like, we're not going to permit you to do a triumphal sacrifice, which would be the first step for the triumph. Sure. They're like, no, um, we're, we're not about that. I think that's what, I think that's what Livy is talking about here. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And then it seems that like that request for a triumph is rejected. Mm. Both of them, both Valerius and Radius are really angry Fair enough. And so they call together an assembly of the people. And we know there's been some shifting in the sorts of things that different assemblies are allowed to make decisions on and different committee are doing. Um, this seems to be a hazy period for what decisions are made where. Mm. And it seems like Valerius Horatius might be leaning into that a little bit because they sort of get the people together and they're like, what about it? And they start really laying in to the Senate in this, in these assemblies being mm. like, you know, like they're the ones that are standing in the way, you know, they're stopping us from celebrating, sharing the booty, doing all the things. They get the tribunes on side and the tribunes, now that there's 10 of them, they're like, yeah, down with the Senate, those guys are dicks. <laughs> uh, and so then they go to a vote and it's a tribunal vote and they vote in that forum for the triumph to happen. So this seems to be different from the way things have been done previously. The senators are not very happy about that. But now we have the consuls receiving the right to celebrate a triumph from the people, which seems like a big win. Absolutely. And this obviously follows on quite nicely with the fact that Valerius and Horatius are the people that seemingly gave them this power to do this kind of thing. Yeah, with their laws. That's pretty much exactly how it plays out in my account. The, the senators definitely feel like they're trying to be intimidated into granting a triumph, I think, by the fact that Valerius and Horatius arrive back in the field of Mars very close to each other. And definitely, it is Achilles specifically, in my account, who tries to push for a triumph. And specifically, Gaius Claudius is mentioned as being one of the people that tries to talk the plebs out of voting for it. Oh boy. Yeah, so it is definitely a contentious issue, but you're absolutely right. It is marked as the first time that the people have been able to vote a triumph and that it wasn't something that was the gift of the Senate. Apparently, not even the kings had gifted triumphs. Ooh. So there you go. It is definitely a very special moment. This is a landmark in Roman history. Yes. Now, unfortunately, this is where things take a slightly sinister turn in my account. Ooh. I know. <laughs> so the tribunes realise that their time is coming to an end. You could only rule for one year as a tribune. Well, can you though? Because Ooh. this is what they start talking about. They start conspiring secretly amongst each other. They want to ensure that they are going to be elected again. And, just to make sure the dream team is really back together again, they want the same consuls as well. And this is not just because Valerius and Horatius are apparently amazing as far as the plebs are concerned. It's because they don't want to make it obvious what they're doing. They think, well, if the consuls are the same, then it kind of just makes sense that the tribunes are the same. Fascinating, fascinating. Exactly. So, again, Livy is playing up this idea that these tribunes are just turning into the decimers. Mmm, that's really interesting. I mean, that doesn't come through so much in Dionysius's account. It is um... definitely, I think, something that Livy has been angling at for a while. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, and they say that it's ju- totally justified. They're like, we're not, we're not just like the Decembers. I mean, we need to do this because the patricians just stick together so much. You know, they're they're just they're just so solid in the way that they stand by each other. We need to therefore stand by 
ourselves. Mm. Make sure our interests... You've got a friend in me, buddy. Exactly. And I mean, do we need any further evidence apart from the fact that the patricians have been very negative about these consuls, which we like? Clearly, that's an indication that they just don't respect us and this whole situation. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of love where this is going. Mm. Um, It's certainly not in my source material. Um, So I'm very curious about how it's going to wrap up. Certainly we get a sense um, in Dionysius's account that there's a lot of anti-Senate vibe Mm. coming through the Tribunate, particularly once these this triumph situation arises and we must be getting towards what is the end of the year. Oh, definitely. And it is a bit of a problem to have such a negative um, vibe happening between the Tribune of the Plebs and the Senate in this crucial moment, which will be the lead into the elections. Now, how that was it will play out in Dionysus' account is not at all clear because he kind of just wraps up the year and says, and so that was the year. Right, okay, now I have got a little bit more detail. So the plebeians continue to deliberate because they're very scared that the patricians will make sure that new consuls are elected that are sympathetic to their interests. Meaning that as soon as they're in power, they will turn around and start attacking the tribune of the plebs. They don't feel like these new laws that Valerius and Heratius have been in place for long enough that they can feel secure about them. Yes. And they also are very aware that Valerius and Heratius are a rare breed, that not many patricians, members of the elite, feel the way that they do about matters. However, Marcus Duilius comes back into my story at this point in time. Yes. He sees that this isn't just a short-term thing they need to worry about, that realistically there are going to be some long-term problems if they allow for the same people to be re-elected. And he publicly states that he would not consider re-electing anyone who had already served. So there's some division arising between the tribunes of the plebs. So a lot of the other tribunes are very angry and saying, you should just let anybody run, man. Why are you so concerned? What's your problem? (laughs) (laughs) What are you afraid of, huh? Yeah. And they say, look, Julius, if you're not happy about it, because he's the one who's organising the election, if you're not happy about it, then just let one of us run the elections no problems <laughs> we're not trying to please the patricians we're just going to run them according to the laws okay mm. so controversy arises because julius asks the consuls to appear before the benches of the tribunes and he says look what are you planning to do with elections and they of course say well new consuls are going to be chosen so julius and the consuls then go before the assembly when they're at the assembly, the consuls ask them what they would do if they were if they had the same people elected again. Okay? And they say, look, we're not going to change our minds. We're not going to be elected again. Valerius and Heratus say, we've had our time. You know, we've been happy with our, our moment. So all the people get to see Valerius and Heratus openly saying that they wouldn't run for consulship again. So Duilius then says, oh, well, aren't you guys just the bee's knees? You know, you're willingly going to step down at the end of your term and you won't run again. Amazing. That just goes to show you're very different to the Decembers. (laughs) (laughs) Me like, what spin can I put on this to make it sound good? (laughs) Yeah. So he's obviously doing the whole, look at this great example thing. And it's at this moment he chooses to hold the election. Five tribunes end up getting chosen, but no one else 
is, and you're obviously meant to have 10. No one else gets um, enough votes because the other tribunes have been campaigning so hard to try and get themselves re-elected to that position. So Duilius dismisses the assembly and he does not summon it for re-election. He's like, we're not going to do this again. Instead, he says, look, we really, according to the law, we really only have to worry about holding elections again if the office of tribune is vacant. So that's not the case. What we'll do instead is the people who have been elected, you can just choose a buddy. We're going to use a buddy system. Oh, yeah. Okay. I feel like this is going to lead into future problems. Fair enough. But for the moment, he's very satisfied with himself because after he has made sure that now there are 10 tribunes selected and they're not the same ones as the previous year, he lays down his own position because, of course, he can't hold it forever. And therefore, he is apparently approved of by everybody, whether they be patrician or plebeian. I see. Fascinating. Yeah. Okay, so we've gone from a situation where you're supposed to vote in 10 tribunes. Yeah. And now we've got five chosen via vote. Yeah. And five chosen through what is known as co-option. Right. Uh, where somebody's like, oi. Yeah. Taps you on the shoulder and like, how about it? And you're like, ooh, didn't know this opportunity was coming my way, but uh, I'm keen. Yeah. <laughs> I'll put on, I'll put on the, put on, on the toga for that. Board. You had me. And hello. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and that that's the end of the year as far as Livia's concerned. Well, yeah. I think this is probably a good spot to wrap up actually, yeah. because things start to break down rather rapidly mm. in my source material as okay. we as we regress further. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds as well, I think. Mm. Okay, well that means, Dr. G, that it is once more time for the partial pick. <laughs> Yes, thank you, Igor. It's so nice for you to see Dr. G again. He's been missing you. Oh, I've missed him too. <laughs> He's beautiful, delicate squawk. Indeed. So the partial pick is where we get to rate how the Romans have been doing. And finally, we can say we're at the end of 449 BCE. That so is truly the end of the 2nd December. It truly is. So we have the chance to award them a total of 50 Golden Eagles. Mm, across what? five categories. Yeah. Let's see how they go. Yes. All right. So the first category is military clout. Well, I mean, I feel like it's almost a 10 out of 10. <laughs> I mean, two campaigns, victories all around, a bootay. Bootay and recovered bootay. Yes. Yeah, look, I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. I wouldn't say this is necessarily like the epic battles that, no. that are going to go down in history, but they've been strategically sound, yes. according to our sources, yes. and altogether successful. Yes, I, I, I would say so. So, do you want to go 10? 10. All right, done. 10. 10s. 10s across the board. 10 out of 10. Yes. Not bad, Rome. Not bad. Let's see how they do in diplomacy. Hmm. Is it diplomatic to kill and exile your enemies? Yeah, I don't feel like there's a lot of diplomacy going on here. <laughs> no, there's a lot of warfare, not yes. a lot of diplomacy. Damn, they, they never have both. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is it impossible to get 50 golden eagles? Maybe. <laughs> well, I think that it would be the situation where if they show diplomacy in one sphere, but they're engaged in a battle in another. Mm, a war on two fronts. For God's sakes, Rome, I am a modern-day woman. I want to have it all. <laughs> Never wage war with Russia in winter. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right, so zero for diplomacy. Okay. That's unfortunate. All right. Expansion. Well, no. They are just f fighting the people that are 
causing trouble for them. Yeah, and it's not at all clear that they're expanding their territory at all. I think it's very clear that they are not. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Rome. Yes. All right, Weirtus. Okay, I mean... You have this nameless soldier who, by virtue of revealing how poorly he's been treated, is also inadvertently revealing how well he has fought in the past. That's true. I don't feel like it's the best example, though. I feel like it's, what, maybe a three? <laughs> I mean, it's certainly not weird to us from whoever scourged him. I mean, that's not cool. No. Spurious, obvious. <laughs> Looking in your direction. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a three because even though, yes, he has had all this military success, it's obviously all well in the past. There is something to be said for the fact that the two consuls are very adamant that they will not be continuing on. That's true. That's true. Julius uses them as a good example. And Julius himself, Mm. you know, he won't run for re-election either. And he stands... I mean, you know what? He is the Neville Longbottom of this episode. (laughs) Because when all the other tribunes are Mm. trying to do something sneaky, he alone stands against them all. Wow. Yeah. It's harder to stand up to your friends than your enemies, don't you? <laughs> I feel like I should understand Harry Potter better at this point. Professor Dumbledore <laughs> taught us all that. You guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> all right. So maybe, maybe I'm being a bit harsh. Maybe it is more like a, a five or a six. I think, yeah. I think there's got to be some points to be scored here because there's definitely some important moments where people are standing up. Yes. For things that will become very important to the Roman Republican psyche. For sure. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's say a six then. Okay. They've got a six. All right. And the last category is the citizen score. Well, I feel like it's got to be pretty good to be a citizen because although they are on military campaign, which is not always pleasant, they seem to be very happy to be on campaign. They're winning lots of victories. I don't really hear many details or anything unpleasant happening. And they're pretty excited to award a triumph to both of these consuls, which means that presumably losses aren't too bad. Absolutely. And outweighed by the goods. So Definitely. I think it's pretty good. There's not a lot of specific detail about anything crazy good happening for the people. So maybe an eight? Like, it's good to be alive. It's good to be alive. I was thinking maybe a five. What? Like, it, I mean, it's all right, but is it is it great? Well, I mean, you know, Valerius and Horatius are consuls. They've got these tribunes <laughs> who are this, they're getting vengeance against the Decimbers. And mm. I feel like it's got to be more than a five. All right. But should we say seven? All right. Okay. Thank you. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, Dr. G. We're so close to passing. <laughs> that means that Rome finishes on a grand total of 23 Ooh. golden eagles. Yes, well, 23 is quite impressive. It's certainly higher than they've had recently. <laughs> Absolutely. So please join us next time. I think we'll probably be a bit smoother next time because this episode has been a bit trippy for both of us being out of lockdown. It is strange. We have not been in the same room together for months um, and maybe it will come across in the recording. <laughs> Anyway, we look forward to seeing you next time. Farewell. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Partial Historians. I'm Dr. G here, and on behalf of Dr. Rad and myself, thank you so much for joining us for another exciting moment in Roman history. We would like to thank our newest patrons, Anna, Rachel, Crystal, and Benjamin, for their support. 
And we'd also like to shout out to some of our long-term supporters on Patreon as well. Kylie, Liv, Mark, Nick, and Paul. You can find us on all kinds of social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And of course, if you love what we do, we would love your support to help us make this podcast the best that we can. Thanks again.